0: Amen. I think a theme of this meeting already has been what faith truly is. Brother Josh shared with us about the kind of desperate faith that produces results, that gets the attention of the Lord. And I think the Bible is full of examples of that kind of thing. And something came to me earlier when I was thinking about faith, and I remembered something that I had, I had ministered in another context in another community Years ago, and I I came to the meeting with a question: Is faith optional for a believer? There's kind of a a hint built into the question, isn't there? How are you a believer if you don't believe anything? (laughs) Is faith optional for a believer? Is it is it a seasonal thing that we need to experience it at some point in order to get on the right track? And then after that, it's a blessing that comes to us from time to time when we feel it or walk in it, but um, the important part is kind of already taken care of. You know, of course, by the way I'm framing the question, what I think the answer is, and I'm going to guess pretty much all of us in this room are going to agree on that answer, that faith is not optional. We could quote passages, couldn't we? Like, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We could say uh, from Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith. So if we're saved by faith, it's not optional. With John, we could say that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And there's plenty of them. Amen. Paul says the only thing that counts or matters is faith expressing itself through love. Romans 14, whatever is not of faith is sin. That makes it sound like everything we do has got to be done in faith or else we're sinning. Every thought we think, every word we say, every action we take has got to be done through faith. Because when it's absent, we are failing to live up to the investment that Jesus has made in us. And yet somehow I think that even those of us who kinda know better, we tend to compartmentalize our faith into different categories. So maybe we think of faith as, the faith that saves us that we know we need turns into kind of a a general understanding that in principle, God is able to do anything and we believe that he is God, and we believe that he rose from the dead, and we believe that the Bible is true, and yet there's this other kind of faith that is a special optional faith that lands on me from time to time. (laughs) Maybe in a really desperate circumstance, I reach for it and find it, or maybe uh, in an incredibly powerful move of God that spawned by the faith of others, it rubs off on me and I feel it. And that's kind of in the realm of, of blessing and that we, we visit that. But this other faith where I kind of just, I have some sort of principled confidence, uh, that's the faith that's, that's necessary and, and I kind of have that one all the time. But I want to ask you, when you think of what we call a faith-filled person, what do you picture? Do you picture somebody who just has the, kind of the creeds in line or who has had some past experience that they could tell you about with God? I mean, think about, th- take a second and think about specific people that you've known, maybe they're in this room, maybe they've gone on to be with the Lord, specific people that you would say, now that is a faith-filled person. Was it a seasonal thing for them? What does it mean to be faithful if it doesn't mean to be filled with faith? But we want to separate certain people off, you know, uh, and say, they must have had the gift of faith. Right? Doesn't Paul talk about the gift of faith? To some is given one gift and some is given another, he tells us. And to some, he mentions, is given the gift of faith. And so that brother or sister, they are just indomitable in their approach, in their attitude, in their perspective, in their prayer. They must have the gift of faith. Unfortunately, I didn't get that one. Uh... I have the gift of, of um, well, what would it be? I'm more gifted as a, with a morose attitude. That's just the way God made me. He, he made some of us to have this incredible uh, optimism. And then he made some of us to be more realistic. And that's me. That's me. So I praise God for those people that have all that faith and everything. But to each one is given a gift. What's wrong with that? It's true that there's a gift of faith, isn't there? Amen. There is a gift of faith. I'm not trying to level out the differences in the way that God has made us. Brother Rossi talked to us about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? We have different makeups, different personalities, and those things we're born with—they're genetic givens and so forth. The gifts of God are according to His will. But I would propose that it would be more consistent with Scripture to say that the gift of faith is a gift to impart faith, to communicate that faith to God's people in a special anointing. But it can't be saying that we don't all need faith. We talk about this when we talk about people who try to dismiss speaking in tongues by saying there is a gift of tongues. We say he is not saying that only some people will speak in tongues he's saying some people have a special gift to use that manifestation of tongues for the edification of the body and that's the context of that whole list of gifts is these are the things that edify the body through expression and communication one to another so <laughs> do you want to be a faith filled person Consider what that means before you say yes because I'm hopeful that by the time we we work through a couple of things, you will realize that being a faith-filled person might cost you something. Let's talk about another barrier. The Bible says I only need a little bit of faith. All right, Jesus talked about that mustard seed and so uh, I take such comfort in that That even though my faith is weak and flaccid and tiny and only surfaces once a year or so, that's okay because mustard seeds are very tiny. And that's what he was, that was the point, wasn't it, of that passage was to tell us that's all you have to have. Don't reach for any more, just be content with that tiniest little bit of faith. Wasn't that the point of what he was saying? Don't we sing that song, faith, 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 just a little bit, just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot. Should we stop the song there? <laughs> what is the point of this mustard seed of faith? What is Jesus trying to say? Is he trying to say that a little, is, it's fine to just have a little faith? No, he's trying to say, if you've got the real thing, you're going to use it. It's going to be active. An authentic, genuine faith is so powerful that it causes action. If you have a faith the size of a grain of mustard, you can say to this mountain, be removed and it will obey you. And he said in another place, to him who has, more will be given. From faith to faith, the righteousness of God is being revealed. It's not faith if it's not growing. So he is encouraging us by telling us, you don't have to begin with a mountain of faith. You can begin with a mustard seed of faith and move the mountain of doubt and fear out of the way so that faith can displace it. He said in another place that that mustard seed grows into a mustard tree. (laughs) Amen, that gives room for all the birds of the air. Jesus did talk about those who had little faith. And it wasn't positive. I looked up the examples. There's four times when Jesus rebukes people and says, oh, you of little faith. It's not a compliment. Four times when he does that in the book of Matthew and one parallel in Luke. The first time is when they are, he's speaking to us about, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking to us about worrying about what we eat and what we drink and what we wear. He's talking about the necessities of life. And he says, Oh, you of little faith, why do you worry? Every time he says you of little faith, he shows us the antonym. He gives a different antonym every time, but they're all related. You of little faith, why do you worry? And what does he offer as the solution to this? Does he say, You need to go into a place of of a nirvana, where you don't even think about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear, and you just go into a place of contemplation where you just believe that everything is going to be okay, and and then it'll work out. Is that the, the solution that he offers to this worrying? No, his solution is you need to seek first the kingdom. If you would just come to God and receive the fullness of his kingdom and his righteousness. Your heavenly father knows that you need the rest of these things. So we say in the flesh, I'm worried about reality. And and if I can get that taken care of, then the kingdom of God, we can add that. That's the spiritual stuff. That's kind of the icing on the cake that we add on top of once we've got the basics of reality covered. And Jesus is upending that and saying, The basics of reality are all in the kingdom. The things that are seen are passing away. It's the things that are unseen that have authentic reality in the eyes of God. And they're going to be taken care of through our focus on the kingdom of God. Then it's the storm on the sea. They're all worried because of the storm, the trial that they're going through. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why are you fearful? Another antonym of faith. And then when Peter is walking on the sea, he started out in faith. He even said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of this boat. And Jesus said, come. And he walked and he took a few steps. Then he saw the wind and he saw the waves. He starts to sink and and Jesus reaches down and says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then just a couple chapters later, he speaks to them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And they start worrying about that because they forgot to bring bread. He's talking to us because we were not responsible and we don't have anything to eat and he's hungry, so he must be saying this and that and the other. And this time he says, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Their frame of mind was still focused on the, what they thought was the immediate needs at hand, and so they thought that's what he was talking about. They were missing a critical word from God because of their frame of mind that caused them to go down a rabbit trail of reasoning about what that might mean and what will happen after that, and if he's saying this, and are we supposed to do that? caught up in some kind of labyrinth of of rationalizing rather than saying, this is Jesus talking, throw out your preconceptions, he can do anything. They had already forgotten about the miracle of the loaves and the fishes and so forth, so fast. This is not the problems that he's worried about. Do you see that? So we have worry, fear, doubt, and reason. They all go together. Because our reason is what leads us into worrying and doubting and fearing. I read this passage before the meeting, and I, I think of it in light of the heroes of faith Brothers Afriar mentioned earlier, and that they spoke about on the podcast. And I also think about it in terms of the heroes of faith that are a little closer to our time. I think about Brother Denny resting in the cemetery, resting with God, rather think about brother jim Eisenstein. i think about brother blair faith filled men hebrews 13 and 7 this is after the chapter on the heroes of faith remember those who led you who spoke the word of god to you and considering the result of their way of life imitate their faith do you want to be like the heroes of faith. We read in Hebrews 11 and we see that the price was pretty high a lot of times. We were at um, Brother Shahar's on Thursday night and um, they were, it was it was their 35th wedding anniversary. So uh, we were there to celebrate with them, with some others, and Brothers Zafrir and, and others. And um, they had their. They had. A, uh, well, I guess it was mostly a wedding album, but it had pictures past that for, done for your twenty fifth or something like that. But so they had all these pictures from their wedding, um, thirty five years ago last Thursday, and uh, I picked it up and started looking through it, and the first thing that struck me was these people are young. <laughs> I mean, it was. Unless I miss somebody, there, was exactly, there were all these pictures of people in the fellowship greeting them and dancing the horror and eating meal afterwards and in the wedding and everything. All kinds of folks, hundreds and hundreds of, of you, and some have gone on. And um, unless I miss somebody, there was exactly one person in that entire album who was older than I am today. And I think I'm young today. (laughs) They were young. And somehow in my mind, I confess that our local heroes of faith have always been full of experience and wisdom and and so forth. And that's probably true on, on one level. But the things that were happening in those days were all happening. Everyone there was younger than me. And so the stories that we hear from those days, um, it was people like you and me, young people. Can I include myself, <laughs> the young people? And uh, Brother Shahar and Sister Kim started to tell their, their story, their testimony, really, how they came to God. And uh, we sat there, and the presence of God hovered over us there on Thursday night, just hearing again what God did. And I tell you, they were sharing about the kind of investment of prayer and faith that went into their birth, into the kingdom. Amen. And, and we take it for granted. You know, we, we can forget that the Shahar and Kim and the Tzafrir and Noah and so many others who now we look to as examples of faith and patience and, and belief and, and so many things were not always so. And they had no concept of God. Believing in God was fairy tale nonsense. And yet there were people, many of whom are in this room today, who had faith that these people were going to get it. And I don't know, but it, it was so convicting to me and my wife, we talked about it, we've been talking about it ever since, to hear again all that was going in to this birth. Amen. And they didn't know anything about it. You know, they're praying it once things had progressed to the point where that was possible, to really pray. And the whole church is in fasting and prayer that this one man would receive the Holy Spirit, and this one sister, and then one more. And I wish I could do it justice. Sometime they're going to have to share the story with you again because I don't feel like I can or should try to do it justice right now. But I'm just saying it convicted me about the kind of certainty of faith that possessed our forefathers, my forefathers, in this fellowship. That this could be and this must be And we are going to pray and believe and minister and love until the impossible happens. It wasn't looking at the forecast and trying to find a plausible window where we could muster up enough reasoning to think this would be a likely time or these would be likely people to hear our message. It was a conviction from God that came through his word and through his spirit. We ask ourselves how much faith do we possess? We ought rather to ask ourselves are we possessed by faith? And I know we think often about faith for healing, faith for miracles. Amen. And and we should. We should pray for that. But what I've been feeling the most is faith for people. Faith for change in people's hearts and lives. Whether it's your own life (laughs) or the lives of those that you love. I remember one time when Brother Blair, was years ago, was expressing a concern to me about about someone who had a lot of character needs and a lot of history, not so good history as a young person at the time. And he was laser accurate with his burden for this person that was under my care that I knew quite well. And um, he shared these things, and I I felt the Holy Ghost. I knew it was true. And then I shared with him, I said, you know, um, this person was, they testified here in a meeting a while back. I told him I do feel faith for him because they testified recently, and and I don't know if you remember it. I reminded him about it. And you know what Brother Blair told me at the time he said I had forgotten about that testimony he said that testimony is enough to make me drop every concern that I I just shared with you now what did he mean by that did he mean that those weren't realities that that person had to overcome no he was just saying if God could be at work here all of that who are you O great mountain before Zerubbabel you shall become a level plane, and, and I just, when I consider how we imitate the faith of those who went before us, I see people who were not running from reality, were they? I mean, you can't read Brother Blair's books or hear his ministry or even meet him and think this is a man with his head in the clouds who doesn't understand the reality of what really goes on in the world or the reality of how difficult it really is to work with real people that have real problems. Amen. You couldn't say that. You couldn't say that about Brother Denny, could you? You couldn't say that about Brother Jim Eisenstein. These people had been there and done that. They were quite clear, clearer than many of us, on the realities, quote-unquote, of the world that we live in. But they were more clear on the reality of the God that they served. And so we saw people who, were, who, who would move at the smallest whiff of the Holy Spirit. If God is speaking, let's do it. Or if God is speaking, let's drop it. It didn't matter. We categorize ourselves sometimes, don't we? We, we look at people and, and we say, well... They have an optimistic personality. They're always thinking things are going to be better than they are and, and um, always getting disappointed as a result. And, and then there's pessimistic people, and, and they're people who are always doomsayers and always this and that and, and, and such. Uh, and then there's you and me. Thank God we're not optimists or pessimists, are we? We're realists. We see things exactly as they are. We don't fall into either ditch, do we? At least we don't know what ditch we fall into. Faith is not looking at a correctly perceived reality and then making adjustments and hoping for improvements. Is it? Faith happens when the reality of God grows to the point that it overwhelms our own perceptions of the rest of reality. And so we we ought not pray, Lord, shrink my mountain so that I can have faith to get over this thing like Brother Gabe was ministering to us. We ought to instead pray, Lord, increase our faith to encompass this mountain. Brother Zoffreer shared already about Uh, sister Amanda and sister Ellen praying in the clinic there after the accident and you know they both have medical training sister Ellen's a doctor and my wife told me she said honey she prays like the New Jersey sisters pray (laughs) I got back after seeing the readings on the screen and the professional opinions and this and that and it was bleak when she first called me she was worried that, that, that some were not Truly grasping the reality of what was going on there and just how serious it was, she said, Honey, I don't know if he's going to make it to the hospital. And, um, and then she was calling me a little bit later, and she said, I got to the clinic. We shared, I shared with Sister Ellen. We prayed, and the presence of God came down. And Sister Ellen said, That's it. I feel that click. There's going to be a miracle. And there was. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Faith is when the expert opinions don't matter. What matters is that we have touched God. We've heard his voice, and we're going off of that. I'm going to make a confession to you that um, I'm very ashamed of. Fortunately, I can say it was a long time ago. (laughs) But many years ago, Brother Randy and Sister Terry had their first baby. After a long journey, you've heard Brother Randy's testimony, they came to God, got married, had their first baby, and disaster struck. Sister Amanda was at the birth, and that baby had abnormalities and defects that were incompatible with life. And I, of course, got phone calls about it, the whole church, I think, God prayer requests, and um, I was hearing that they're praying for a miracle. Randy and Terry believe for a miracle, and here's where the shameful part comes in on my part. My thinking at the time was, well, we know that God can do that, but I hope that, I hope someone's helping Randy and Terry to to face the reality of the situation. You know, so they're not let down too much when when the inevitable happens. It's a good thing I wasn't the only one standing on the wall when that happened. Because that baby's sitting right here, and she's not a baby anymore. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. The reality was that God used the situation to talk to me about reality and to teach me a painful lesson that a miracle happened and I didn't participate in it. Well, I prayed, but I didn't participate in it like some did. It's something I've always remembered. And then here in the beginning of this meeting, that little baby came up here for prayer with her dad and I got to pray for her again. The Lord gave me a second chance to pray with a little more faith after all these years. Amen. But I had written down that story this morning. And when things have come up since then, whether it was the Swinneson's baby, I felt real differently about it. God can do this. And I'm not one of those who believes in this name it, claim it stuff where just because I want it to happen, God is obligated to to do whatever I want him to do. Amen. Faith is all about surrendering to His will. But you have to be convicted that He is able. And when that faith is there, you know, I remember my mom when she was battling through uh, her cancer, wrestling, my parents, both of my parents, wrestling with do we seek the faith for healing or do we seek the faith to die? You need faith to die. You need faith to live. And yet really in some ways, it's the same thing. The faith for healing and the faith to die. Because it's not faith in an outcome. It's faith in God who determines that outcome. Can we become so possessed by our confidence in his presence, in his reality? that we become channels of miracles. Amen. Of signs and wonders. Of salvation for terribly lost people. You see, when you're you're the realist, there's no risk in that. You're safe from disappointment. You're safe from the ridicule of people who say, yeah, you thought this was going to happen, but it didn't. You're safe from the presence of God. But my main point today is about relationships. Faith for people to change. How do we approach that? The disciples seemed like they had a pretty good understanding of the difficulties of human nature at times. I was thinking about how they they said... um, when Jesus talked to them about divorce Pharisees came and they asked "Um, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? It's almost like there's this hopeful note in that question and Jesus says no it's not there's only really one grounds that destroys that covenant he said well but Moses, they said Moses said we could and he says Moses allowed that because of the hardness of your heart, but it's not God's plan. From the beginning, it wasn't so. Um, And the disciples respond to that by saying, well, then it's better not to marry. (laughs) I mean, if there's no get out of this situation because it got hard uh, card, then let's not even get involved in this business of relationship. And loving people and trying to make it work, uh, because that's not going to end well. We're going to be stuck in a situation where things just get into those cycles where they, you know, you try and try and try to do better, and you try and try to help people, and you try to bear with them for. But it just, and who wants to be stuck in something like that? Let's just not even try. But Jesus is speaking to them. This is in the context of him raising the bar on all kinds of things. You've heard it said, don't murder, but don't hate your brother in your heart. He's raising the bar on all these things. He tells him not to swear in the same context. You shouldn't swear an oath. And we know that gets twisted around by some. To, to see there, we shouldn't make any commitments. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, before you thought you only had to keep a commitment when you swore by the temple or whatever. But now, you have got to do this. <laughs> Your yes has got to be yes, and your no has got to be no. And it's right in that context that he raises this thing about marriage. Moses let you get out of this because you weren't yet regenerated, but God is calling you to the impossible. He's calling you to persevere in this. And then, in the other example that's even maybe more telling, uh, we know from the parallels that Peter asks Jesus, How many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? I think he thinks that's magnanimous. And Jesus says, no, seven times seven. You know, in Luke's gospel, he says, If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day... And seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent. You shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Amen. (laughs) That's the next line. Oh, boy. We're going to have to really bear with these people. Faith for relationship can be one of the hardest things. Have you ever been... Possessed with a faith that your spouse can change. That your lost children can return. That your aging parents or grandparents can turn their hearts towards God. I mean possessed by a faith. Thank you, Jesus. Not let's peck at it, let's try one more time, but let's prepare for disappointment. I mean the kind of faith that invests, that says, Zafir and Noah are praying for the Holy Spirit right now, and it's now or never. We've got to pray the whole church stops what they're doing. Because it has to happen. We want to use wisdom. We call it wisdom, to avoid these junctures that require action and responsibility in the spirit. We want to use wisdom, and that always, almost always means wait, go slower. God wants us to use wisdom, but you know what? You can't even get wisdom from God without faith. Can you? What does James tell us? If you don't have wisdom, and who can say they have it unless God gave it to them? If you don't have wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you if you ask in faith. (laughs) What is wisdom? Wisdom is the capacity to see things in their context, to see the big picture. In that sense, we can say that godly wisdom and faith are reciprocals. They're one and the same thing. Because when you start to see things from God's perspective... That's faith. You see? When you start to see that big picture and you feel like in, in view of God and His mercy, anything can happen here. That's wisdom. Thank you, Jesus. So faith precedes real wisdom from God. The wisest, most intelligent people I have known in my life would drop all of their thoughts at a, at a whiff of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Hebrews 6. This is following a verse, I didn't write it down here, but it's following a verse that talks about the love that the brethren are showing to each other. And he says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Did you hear the contrast here? He says that sluggishness is the opposite of patience. <laughs> we call it patience. Sometimes it's sluggishness. So he says we've got to give all diligence. Do you know what the word diligence there literally means? I looked it up. It, it translates to speed or haste urgency and earnestness how do we get a hold of this faith well we know that repentance leads to faith right repentance from dead works and faith towards god it's this turning away from ourselves and towards god repentance leads to it well when paul describes repentance and the fruit of it in second corinthians what does he tell them it produces in them Do you remember the passage? He talks about godly sorrow that leads to to repentance, which brings life. And he says, For look what this produced in you. What diligence. It's the same word. What zeal. What vindication. What fear of God. He speaks all these things that are active words that have been produced. By this turning away from confidence in the flesh. This faith does not permit us to give up on people. And it does not permit us to be sluggish. Amen. We say, I'm using wisdom. I'm using patience. They wouldn't understand if I got too zealous. You know, there, were, there was a whole group of people visiting the ranch. They were telling us the other night uh, in Colorado when Safir and Noah were praying for the Holy Spirit. And it was their first visit ever. They were from the Friends Church in uh, Paonia. And a word of caution had been given <laughs> that we needed to use wisdom. Amen. And that these people, we don't know where they're coming from. We need to be careful. And yet we have got to pray for this need. Down in Austin, they're praying with these Israelis. No Israelis have ever received the Holy Spirit before, and at least not in our ministry. And, and so... People are divided out all over the ranch, and as I have heard the stories, one was in this room, you know, praying at the top of their lungs, and then someone has to come in and say, they're in the building, shh, you know, and so then the next one in the root cellar could pray at the top of their lungs, (laughs) because we had people everywhere trying to pray while we show these people around, and they're nice Christians, and we want to be careful and everything. And then the the call came from Austin, and I don't know who it was, so I won't put you on the spot, but the call came from Austin. Noah just received the Holy Spirit. And and some wonderful sister burst out of her hiding place and prayer closet and in front of the whole visiting group says, Noah just got the Holy Ghost! And the whole thing goes up in smoke and everybody's dancing and worshiping and praising God and Amen. And, and Deanne McNichol, who was, who was prominent in that church that was visiting at the time, said, I knew it. I knew these people had the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it was just what they wanted to see. Amen. We've got to have the faith to release to God and get outside of our little boxes that think it's going to go this way or that way. And we've got to be so careful we don't need to be careful. We need to be obedient. Thank you, Jesus. We need to be zealous. We need to feel the passion for God that real people are going to recognize. How many times have you heard stories? You could tell them of people who, you know, well, they. we were talking about another one the other night when, when Brother Offerers. And Brother Shahar's father was coming to the ranch. And he thought they had joined a cult and we needed to be very careful. And unfortunately, as I was told it, I wasn't there. But folks were being so careful that it felt stilted and the Holy Spirit wasn't really moving. Until a sweet sister named Sister Julie... Started, started a song that, you know, the first song that you would naturally sing to a secular Israeli. Oh, come, let's sing, let us rejoice. Messiah has come, and he's brought life. That'll be a witness. <laughs> That's not a careful song. And she didn't sing it in a careful manner. She started twirling around and swinging her guitar over her head. And this man that had come... Scared to death that his kids were in a cult. Amen. There was something in his Jewish bones that could feel the presence of God. And he said, I don't know what that is, but I like that lady. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. You know I'm not telling you that we need to, to do crazy things in principle. I'm just saying we get way too stuck in our careful, wise reasoning about what's going to help so-and-so to come to the Lord, what's going to help them understand. We just need to hear the voice of God and do it. And those that are of the truth are going to hear His voice. Amen. Amen. And familiarity breeds contempt. Amen. A a prophet is not without honor, saving the members of his own household. And that's where we start to lose faith. Jesus didn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And that's where he said, honor was the problem. Amen. So we get this breakdown of honor between husband and wife, parents and children, wherever it is. And everybody starts losing faith. Don't be one of them. You need to be able to look your wife in the eyes. In spite of whatever needs there's been. And say, I am completely invested in perfect victory here or your child, or whoever it is. Not bracing for disappointment. Completely invested in victory. They have a free choice, but guess what? You're going to win either way. Because you're going to feel the presence of God, the love of God, the power of God. He's going to show himself strong on your behalf because of your heart and attitude. And it gives them a fighting chance to change. Amen. I can remember being in Brother Joel's group um, years ago and there were a number of young people at the time coming up from Austin where there were a lot of needs in various social circles and it was doubtful whether some of them were going to make it and we had a lot of meetings with pretty straightforward words of conviction and change. But the one I remember the most, I remember Brother Joel sharing with the the zeal that you you've seen in him. He said, "We are not going to stop bringing the word of God to you until you are happier than you've ever been in your whole life." <laughs> Amen. That's called faith. We say, "Whoa, this is heavy." But it's not. This is the victory that overcomes the world. It is believing for the reality of the resurrection in your brother's life. We so want to be realistic. Can we stop that today? Is God asking you to step out into that risky territory where you do not have a back door? You are so invested in your brother, in your child, in your parent, in your spouse, that nothing can dissuade you from doing whatever God tells you. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing can dissuade you from love. Amen. When people meet you, what do they feel? Are you one of the ones where they go away from an encounter with you and they say, I just met the most faith-filled person. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, if I acted like that, then people would expect it from me all the time. That ought to tell you something. There is a price to it. Amen. It requires humility. It requires love. It requires sacrifice. It requires investment. But oh, the rewards. Amen. You and I are here because of faith-filled people. That's why we're here. Amen. We saw it in their lives. We heard it in their words. We felt it in their love. And we said, oh, God, there is hope for someone like me. And we felt that desperate desire and faith in our kindle in our own hearts that said, "Do you think I could live up to what they believe I could be?" Amen, Amen. people need to feel it from you. you Amen
1: I see people on the street with their heads hung down. And then I hear somebody say they're just too lost to ever be.